person, one share, one vote. I mean, that wouldn't even work in my house. So, <laughs> so how does it work in a business? Um, well, we have an operational model that's relatively traditional. So we do have hierarchical roles for day-to-day decision-making. So that, like how we run day-to-day business is different than maybe governance. But how we spend our profits might be an important ownership decision. We encourage people to put their different hats on. Like as an employee, maybe you always want more money or you always want more PTO. But as an owner, you realize that that might negatively impact the bottom line and that might impact your profit sharing um, or what we can do with that money for long-term growth. Welcome to the Proco 360 Podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders and sharing my conversations with them with you. My guests have figured out how to build very successful companies while being collaborative, enjoying all that Colorado has to offer, and doing that with other talented people who share their values. This episode is with Jason Sharp, CEO of Namaste Solar. You may have heard of Namaste. They were famous back in 2009 when President Obama and then Vice President Biden were televised examining a Namaste solar rooftop installation. Jason and I are going to talk about the solar industry. I'm interested to learn the state of that business and its financial model. And then we'll dig even deeper into how Namaste Solar is run. It's a B Corp. That's short for Benefit Corporation, as many of you know. So it does doesn't surprise me that Jason promotes a mission of creating holistic wealth. I I think I want some of that. I don't want to be a vegan to get it though. So also the company is employee owned and an employee democracy. So we'll see how that works. Jason, glad you could join me and Proco 360 listeners. Great. Thanks, Dave, for having me. I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. Good. Well, let's start with a quick background. I gave a bit of background about Namaste, but bring us up to speed on sort of the state of the business now. Well, at Namaste Solar, we're about 180 people currently. Uh, we've been between 30 and 40 million in revenue, and we install between about 20 megawatts of solar in our different revenue streams and different uh, market segments. So, you know, it's so funny. People in the energy business talk about megawatts. And the rest of us, like, what is that? How many megawatts does a does it take to power a home? What does a megawatt mean? Yeah, yeah. So an average home, we install uh, around a seven thousand or seven kilowatt system, and a megawatt is a million watts. So if a house is seven thousand watts, a megawatt is a million watts. If that. And how many homes is that? Do the math. Is about 143 homes. All right. So you do, and in, in a year, you'll you'll do how many homes? We'll do up to 20 megawatts between commercial projects. Okay, and doing homes. the math again: 20 times 143, something like that. So equivalent of about close to 3,000 homes. Got it. That helps because you know, guys like me, I don't know. You know, to you, you're like speaking the jargon. You know it in your brain what a megawatt is. So thanks for putting this in context. Uh, talk about sort of the solar industry now. I mean, uh, ten years ago, it, it seems like it was a lot different. Twenty years ago, it was really a lot different. How is how how much different is the solar industry now than maybe what we as listeners sort of perceive it to be? Yeah, I would say 20 years ago, it was a fringe industry, um, really for off-grid homes, uh, very, very few installations nationally. And then we went through rapid growth. 
Uh, Namaste Solar was a top 100 fastest growing company in the country around the time that we met President Obama. Um, so the solar industry really exploded in the you know 2005 to, to 2010 was explosive growth. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it used to be that you'd only see, as you mentioned, sort of off the grid or, or maybe just isolated homes that look sort of weird in their neighborhood because they had solar panels or whatever. Now entire neighborhoods are being created that way. And I just listened to just a couple of days ago, a Hidden Brain podcast that talked about how building out neighborhoods versus the same number of homes that are all spread out achieves greater acceptance because it creates a sense of normalcy. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah, we actually work with uh, Lennar Homes and a business called Sun Street Energy Group where we install homes in every house in a neighborhood. So we have a contract where we go in and install every single house gets one. There's great economies of scale. It can drive costs down. So you can get more solar out for the same price point. Um, and I do believe it creates much broader acceptance and people buy homes in these neighborhoods, partly because of the way the houses are built and the fact that they have solar energy on them. So certainly drives costs down. Yeah. When, you, when you do it at the beginning, you can roll it into the mortgage and uh, it, yeah. you really actually see savings on day one. Well, that makes sense because if you're rolling into the mortgage, the, uh, that incremental payment is probably less than the energy bill you would be saving. Absolutely correct. Yeah. You can be so cash flow positive on day one. Yeah. What do you think about that idea though? I was really intrigued by the idea that, that when a home has a solar panel and it's all by itself in a neighborhood, it feels, it feels a little strange, but when a home, a whole neighborhood is solar paneled and you know, that it creates a sense of normalcy and does that actually stimulate acceptance? That's a great question. I mean, I there's the, another phenomenon we've seen is that when your neighbor has solar and you see that they've made this investment, they're saving money, then maybe you want to have solar, mm -hmm. you know, sort of that effect. So I think, I think that solar is becoming more and more accepted, more normal. Uh, people see the economic benefits as well as the, the climate change benefits. And so I think there's, there's, there's reasons to do it in every neighborhood on every house. Yeah, I, yeah I of course it. you do. Well, I, I would appreciate that you're an evangelist and uh, you know, I have been, I have been struck by the, the increasing frequency with which I see not just one or two, but many, many homes. And some though say the solar industry's a little less, I'm going to put it in quotes, legitimate because it's supported by a large federal tax credit. Now it's around 26%. You know, what, what do you say to that? And how does that affect the financial model? Well, first thing I'd say is that energy is not a free market. It's not like that fossil fuels haven't been subsidized and don't continue to be subsidized currently. So yes, there is a tax credit for solar energy, but there's many credits and ways that uh, our tax dollars support the traditional energy industry as well. And right now, renewables are actually cheaper than fossil fuels delivering kilowatt hours to the grid today. So um, I'd say subsidies have been working, like driving down costs of new technology. And I would say that it, it would be irresponsible to not use affordable fossil fuel to create the future energy paradigm for the future of humanity. So absolutely what we should be doing is driving costs down for the future yeah. fuel for, for humans. So do you think that it seems like what you're saying is that, that the federal tax credits, the federal government subsidy have essentially stimulated the industry enough to where it's now at a place where it's com cost competitive? 
it is cost competitive depending on the market and and the cost of the energy that you're being delivered yeah, through yeah. traditional means. But yes, I'd say in many markets across the country, renewables are becoming cost effective. And it's one of the reasons Excel Energy announced that they're going to go carbon free by 2050 is because they see the cost benefit of renewables. So yeah, it's in yeah. their financial interest as well. It seems like it's been a good thing, not just for your... like. The industry itself, the solar industry itself, would not have really developed or evolved as quickly or effectively without government subsidy. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Yeah, so, I, I mean, believe, is this... Go ahead. Well, I believe subsidies, when targeted and by design, are to allow for a new technology to become cost-effective in the marketplace. And I'd say without those subsidies we would not be at a point where we'd be looking at cost-effective renewables. With yeah. those subsidies, that actually drives down the cost and makes them a cost-effective future. So when we started our business, when we sold systems in 2006, you know, our average cost per system is about $60,000. And I would say today, that same system that cost you about $60,000 now costs you more like $20,000. As you look back 20 years and you think about the initiatives that our government has put into place to stimulate uh, solar technology, I mean, arguably it's worked. Absolutely. I, I think it's a great success story. Yeah. And uh, the question will be what's, what's next or when do we get to the point where the industry can be completely standalone in all 50 states. You know, that, it, yeah. It's different in every state because of the way sure. energy markets are. But yes, that it's working and yeah. we're, we're, not, we're, there, we're close, but I don't think we're there yet. Uh, it would be exciting to get there in my lifetime. How close is Colorado to that? Colorado has great sunshine, so we have a lot of um, resource. We also have really inexpensive electricity compared to a lot of other markets. So it's hard to say. It depends on how um, consumer costs evolve over the next decade. But I'd say we're five to 10 years from grid parity in Colorado. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's a pretty big jump from just 20 years ago. It's yeah. actually... Meteoric, I can't say it, uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, it's very fast. Meteoric, huh? Yes. Is that what you were looking for? Meteoric? <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Jason, you know, thank you because I, I wanted to get some of that behind us to really understand sort of the state of the industry because as a business guy and you're a business guy, the numbers ultimately have to drive success or lack thereof in an industry. So it sounds like we're getting really close. So thanks for painting that picture. And I want to shift gears. First of all, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360 named best Denver podcast three years running. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Jason Sharp, CEO of Namaste Solar. Thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Via Technologies. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for support for me and Proco 360. And now, Jason, I want to shift gears away from sort of what the solar business is to how you run your company. And it seems like most companies promote themselves based on the features and benefits for their customers. You, though, promote Namaste based on how you run the business, not just, you know, sort of what you provide to the customer. So let's talk about being a B Corp and being company owned and 
I'm going to start with this. Part of your mission is to create, as I mentioned earlier, holistic wealth for ourselves and our community. So what is holistic wealth? Yeah, holistic wealth. I think we might have invented that that term. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, you know, it fits in with the B Corp sort of mantra of people, planet, profit. And that business isn't just a bottom line thing. There's other stakeholders that get that are impacted in everything a business does. There's the employees, there's the customers, there's the shareholders. Um, most corporations, the fiduciary responsibility uh, of a board of directors is to ensure maximized profit for its shareholders. And a B Corp allows for other stakeholders to be considered. So you could make a decision that actually benefits your employees more than it does your shareholders, or at least you have to consider the impact on, to yeah. the employee as well as to the shareholder. And I think it's cool that it's a B Corp is an actual legal standing that shelters businesses from being sued by, uh, by shareholders because they haven't, you know, short-term maximized. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that, that was one of the reasons there needed to be a legal change was that currently shareholders could sue if a business made a decision that didn't maximize their shareholder value. And B Corps are actually give legal protection for a board of directors to make a decision for some other reason um, yeah. that's in the interest of the business long term. So that's how you've decided to run Namaste Solar as a B Corp, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you think... Let's face it. I mean, you're in the solar world. You know, your customers are all do-gooders. Uh, they, you know, they want to save the planet. You know, I mean, to what extent does this help your business more than if you were selling some other, you know, consumer product like, you know, hardware or, or furniture or something like that? Well, we do think it translates into positive impact for the consumer. So we wouldn't run this business if we didn't think it was good for our consumers because they're one of the stakeholders that it's important to create holistic wealth for. So, for example, we have owners and and we have about half of our company, about 80 to 90 people in our company right now are owners. And so we send an owner to your house to help install the system. And what we find is owners care more than maybe a non-engaged employee does. And so creating more engagement, more involvement creates a culture of care. And so our employees show up at your home and they care about your experience. They care about the quality of the work they do. They, they care about everything that they do. So we just, we think it creates more engagement and, yeah. and it does translate into customer experience. Does, is that a rule that, if, if half of your employees are owners, is it a rule that at least one owner goes to a new installation? It's not a rule, but it is a, it's a, it's a outcome. Um, Cause people who tend to stay with us longer tend to be owners and people who stay with us longer run crews. And usually the person mm -hmm. running the crew is an owner. So ah, that, got it. it's the way it works. Yeah. It's not a rule though. Yeah. Do they show up and tell the customer when they're getting ready to do an install? I'm, you know, Mary, I'm Bob, and I actually am an owner. I mean, did they somehow let the customer know that they're an owner? I don't think that we, again, we don't make that f the first thing we say in all of our messaging. I think we're very happy to talk about the way we run our business, and people mm -hmm. are very happy to talk about being an owner, but that's not the leading yeah. thing that people experience. I think customers just experience really kind, 
hardworking people that care when they show yeah. up and they answer their questions, you know, which I think is a fun conversation. Well, this all, I mean, this, what's it, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Can you think of a specific example, Jason, of a decision that, you know, one of your owners in the field made as an owner that wouldn't have been made had they, you know, been an employee. I think every day people in the field make decisions on spending money on behalf of the customer. So does it, do I take extra time to do it right? Do I take extra time to come back and, and, and finish my animal guard uh, in the most effective way, or do I knock off early for the day? You know? And so I do think there's lots of little decisions that do impact the quality of, of work that we yeah. do. And, it, and it's interesting that people say like the devil's in the details, huh. but the little things add up. The little things make a big difference. And uh, a lot of people make a lot of little decisions as owners every day, in my opinion. At a, at a higher level, as the guy is the CEO who runs a B Corp uh, called Namaste Solar, I'm going to ask you for another example. What kinds of decisions, give me an example of a decision or two that you've made, that you made as the, as the CEO of a B Corp that you might not have made if you were, you know, not a B Corp? I can give you a great example of kind of democratic decision-making combined with how we might make a decision as a B Corp. And so we decided we had a good year last year and we have the pandemic and then had fires here in Colorado that impacted our community. And so we went to our ownership and asked to take a vote on what our community profit sharing budget would be this year in the face of a pandemic, knowing that there was a lot of people around us in our community that were, were hurting from this last year. And so we voted to spend 10% of our net income on our community and our profit, um, profit sharing fund. And then on top of that, the Cowwood fire happened and Cowwood's been a great partner to Namaste Solar. We've done a lot of retreats there. And so I actually did a, a vote online and we decided to give an additional $10,000 to Cowwood to help with their fire uh, um, remediation uh, after that fire devastated their, their facility. And so, you know, spending money is one of the most important things an owner can do. And I think we spend money on different stakeholders, creating holistic value for our community uh, might be an example of a decision we would make. When you took those votes to spend $10,000 or 10% of your profit pool, that was employees who would have otherwise received that money in percentage to what, to their ownership. Yeah, we have a patronage uh, dividend, it's called, which is a form of profit sharing of the owners. And yes, if we decide to give money to Cowwood or community members, that comes out of the profits, which would be paid out in part to the ownership. So yeah, people would be sacrificing their own profit sharing. Wow. So, you know, as an employee-owned cooperative, every employee has the option to buy one share. Is that right? Correct. A single That's share. Correct. That's correct. And then you told me in a, sort of a pre-conversation, one person, one share, one vote. I mean, that wouldn't even work in my house. So, <laughs> so how, do you, how does it work in a business? Um, well, we have an operational model that's relatively traditional. So we do have hierarchical roles for day-to-day decision-making. So that like how we run day-to-day business is different than maybe governance. But how we spend our profits might be an important 
ownership decision? Or do we move our office? Or, you know, one of the more impactful votes along the way is we changed our PTO plan. Um, or if we changed a portion of, of employer contribution to your medical insurance. You know, those decisions have all been one person, one vote. Often there's a small group, you have a bully pulpit, so you get to shape mm. the vote to a certain degree, but there's usually, you know, three legitimate options and the ownership chooses between those options. Um, on relatively important, we try to make some decisions every year be impactful uh, to the owners of the business. So what does that look like? Look, okay, you change your PTO policy and everybody wants more paid time off and yet <laughs> employer uh, owners pay for that ultimately. So what happens? I mean, do people, you know, get up and you mentioned a bully pul- pulpit, do they make speeches and pitch their, their side and do they rally and lobby? And then is it a secret vote? What is, okay, just take us through one of these things, a really interesting one. Yeah, the PTO one was a really interesting one that just happened recently. And yeah, there's there's different interests. We we encourage people to put their different hats on. Like as an employee, maybe you always want more money or you always want more PTO. But as an owner, you realize that that might negatively impact the bottom line and that might impact your profit sharing um, or what we can do with that money for long term growth. So, yeah, we would we have a small group of people put together a proposal and then we had we hosted a town hall. So at four o'clock at the end of the day, we invited everybody to come to the town hall and we explained the three options. People could ask clarifying questions to make sure they understood the proposal. And then there was, a, a, you know, people advocated for what they thought the right answer was for the organization. And then we hold a, a, an electronic vote. So the course of the next four days, people could log in and vote their choice. And at the end of the week, we had a winning PTO proposal. And this is, these are secret votes, right? Yeah. And the fact that people don't know who's voting for exactly. what. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So boy, it would be tough if you had to raise hands, <laughs> that would be a tough deal. Um, so that all sounds kind of kumbaya-ish. Uh, what are we missing? Like, are, what are, what are some of the challenges of being employee owned, almost a democracy related kind of thing uh, that, maybe you haven't shared yet. takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of emotional energy uh, and emotional um, uh, intelligence to be able to navigate, you know, to, to disagree in a healthy way. There's not a lot of great models in our country of healthy disagreement. You know? huh, especially now. <laughs> it, 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 right. And, and so yeah. to, to try to model healthy disagreement, um, is, it's been an interesting journey over the last 16 years. And how do you have conversation and debate, uh, that doesn't make people feel bad and people can feel honest and, and yeah. not everybody, not everybody does. We, we have yeah. learned with, with, um, power differentials with thinking about uh, gender equity or racial equity and thinking about how institutional racism impacts our culture. You know, how does an open format conversation impact a white male, you know, maybe versus a person of color who's a female, like those power differentials are something that we're learning how to evolve. And so there's more opportunities to give input in smaller spaces maybe a hundred person meeting, everybody doesn't yeah. feel comfortable voicing their opinion. Yeah. So, so how can we create smaller groups to bring more voices to the table 
so that we're more rounded in what we hear when we make decisions. So that, that's been an interesting challenge. That is very interesting. And in my role at the Colorado Chamber of Commerce, we've been partnering with uh, a nonprofit called Reach to bring a program, a program called Unconscious Bias to our members. And, and as you're describing that, I can think that, you know, there are unconscious biases that you uh, you know, your owners and employees who are not owners, you know, must have. And how do you work through those things in an open forum when you're voting? How interesting a challenge is that? That's a, it's a new learning and it's a new journey that a new chapter in our journey yeah. that we're unfolding right now. Do you ever have to bring in outside moderators to, to manage this sort of uh, collaborative decision-making? We haven't to date. Uh, we are engaged now with the equity project working on gender and racial equity in our company. So we are, we are bringing in people to help us work on some of these issues that yeah. maybe we have blind spots for and we mm. need, you know, experts to help us see. Yeah, um, I, I would think. And look, I haven't even been inside your building. It just seems like in a scenario that's so fraught with emotion that you know, sometimes that would make sense, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's interesting, like maybe as the CEO, I only have one share and one vote, but it's not true that I don't have disproportional impact on a conversation. Yeah. And you know, do you even, oh, so, okay. We're talking about pay time off or whatever. Do you even say what you think is like, can you share your opinion as a single vote? Because if you do that, all of a sudden, oh, Jason, our CEO thinks this. Yeah. Sometimes people ask me to vote to say something early. They're like, if you feel strongly about this, you should really say something and, and impact the conversation early. Because if you yeah. say something late and it goes in a direction that you're not excited about and you try to change the direction later, like that's going to cause pain. Sure. Um, please voice something early. Yeah, and but if you voice it early, yeah. But then, if you voice it early, you swear to conversation. So there's other times where, you know, hey, I have to really, as a, as a leader, and I think leaders in our company in general, have to weigh how important is this. And I might speak earlier if it's more important, or I really want to make sure that my voice is heard early in the conversation and sways it early. Um, or if this is a conversation that, you know, let's see what other voices care a lot and what, and have vision and let other people read the vision. And then I can tag along towards the end of the conversation instead of trying to steer it from the front. So it, just trying to decide where you are in a debate or conversation is, is the challenge. Wow. That itself is fraught because you have the ability in a nuanced way to, to shape outcomes. And that's, yeah, I can see where you have to be very, very careful. Hey, reminder to our listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And this is a show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Jason Sharp, CEO of Namaste Solar. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And please don't forget, rate Proco 360 in your app when you finish this episode. And Jason, before I wrap up with a couple of questions, I want to come back to this topic of profitability and maximizing shareholder value. You know, it, it strikes me that being a B Corp, you know, you, have, you factor in many things um, in how you make decisions and how you essentially generate uh, business profitability. Do you think that being a B Corp has reduced your profits over time? No, I don't. I, I think being a B Corp 
has helped us attract amazing people. And I think it's helped us attract great consumers um, that want to amplify and support the type of business that we are. Um, one example might be the way we handled uh, pay time off in COVID. So we moved before the federal government or you know, we moved to essentially unlimited PTO if anybody was experiencing symptoms and seeking testing. And so we were aggressively quarantining people and making sure that people got tested to stop the spread of, of coronavirus in our business. And conventional business might say like, you're giving unlimited PTO, like people are gonna take advantage of you. They're just gonna take time off because they don't wanna work. And we actually saw increased productivity um, taking care of our people, our people take care of us, right? We're in this together. And, and so we believe that. And so we put the good, the good foot forward and say, this is how we're going to take care of you. And the owners respond and they're like, yeah, we're in this together. We're owners too. We want to be a successful business. And, and you get an amazing response when you treat people yeah. um, with that respect and, and with people who are engaged owners of the business. So I think that's living a B Corp principle. And so I think it returns, I think it's a good investment and it returns, returns value. Yeah. You know what, to me, there's like this irony in that the only difference between a B Corp's profitability and a non B Corp's profitability is when you get it. You know, that, that, you know, a, a typical public company wants to maximize return to every quarter and a B Corp seems to have a longer view and it, and it still gets there just fine. Yeah. One of our core values is long-term thinking and we try really hard to practice long-term thinking and say, yeah, this quarter might not work out or maybe even sometimes this year might be a little difficult, but let's take the long view. Let's make investments for the long view. And I absolutely believe that that's the better way to do business. Yeah. Now, one thing just popped in my mind as a curiosity. I'm just going to ask. So when employees get bonuses, owners get bonuses, how much are they? Um, it's been varied over the years and it can vary, you know, high risk, high reward. So I would say, I think our largest um, benefit in history was about $7,000 per person. And there's, there was one year we had a negative return. So there's also a risk of ownership where you can actually lose part of or all of your investment. And that, that risk yeah. of ownership is something we mm -hmm. want people to, to realize. Yeah. Well, what does it cost to buy in? So everybody can uh, buy one share at $5,000. Wow. Do you finance that? Uh, we will. Yep. So yep. We, we do uh, have loans and people can pay out of their paychecks if they That's don't have great. the upfront capital. Yeah. So it really does enable anyone who wants to, but boy, you got to have some skin in the game. 5,000 bucks is not, you know, a willy nilly deal. That's right. It's not nothing. That's cool. Well, all right. Shifting gears now towards this, uh, a few wrap up questions, keeping focused on the theme of Proco 360, which is world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. It seems that a solar company being in Colorado is sort of natural, uh, you know, a large focus on sustainability. Of course, our sunshine, which you mentioned, are there less obvious benefits to being in Colorado um, that have been really helpful though for Namaste Solar? Well, I think a lot of Coloradans love the outdoors. And so I do think that there's quite a few people who are worried about climate change and want to be part of the solution. And so are participating in purchasing solar energy as part of a climate solution. So I, I do think that yeah. the population here is supportive of, of our business. Yeah. 
that makes sense. And and I, I was thinking too more. Okay, I'm getting into this whole namaste idea that you know one definition of namaste is you probably and I'm sure you know is you know I bow to you and namaste certainly has spiritual connotations and you know you're involved with sustainability B Corp employee owned namaste solar sort of brings what you might call or one might call sort of an enlightened approach to business. I mean, is it too far to say that you strive for almost that kind of a spiritual enlightened way to do business? I I think that's interesting territory, you know, and and I think that we were really worried about the name Namaste Solar because we're a construction company and would people take us seriously and would we, would they think we're too woo woo of of a business? (laughs) Yeah. And, And I prefer the interpretation of Namaste is recognizing the interconnectedness of all things. And we're working with the solar electrical grid that connects every single one of our homes. We all use electricity and how the energy is produced for that interconnected grid is important. And we're all in this thing called humanity together. And what we do impacts each other. You know, that's an interesting lesson of COVID about, you know, debates over wearing masks or how we navigate these things together as a, as a community. So. I like to think of us recognizing multiple stakeholders, you know, stakeholder balancing and holistic wealth and and the interconnectedness of all things, of business, of energy, of how we treat each other. Um, so I like that interpretation of, of namaste more than more than the spiritual context. I'm, I'm a pretty practical person. <laughs> so so I think of those practical elements uh, yeah. in, in their name as well. Cool. Well, based on your experience with Namaste Solar and what you perceive sort of as your world, your way of, of working, and, and certainly your broader, broader adoption of, of a B Corp style, do, uh, do, you see, do you see companies that are not necessarily like solar companies? I mean, do you see other companies looking at Namaste and saying, you know, we really need to trend in that direction? Yeah, I think the B Corp movement in general has gained some popularity, and I think employee ownership has gained a lot of popularity. Um, and so I think we do get some accolades nationally for being employee owned and the way that we operate our business. And if you think about how a sole entrepreneur is going to pass on their business to the next generation, why not pass that business on to your employees that have helped you build this business that have helped you be successful. And there can be an exit strategy that's a win-win. The entrepreneur is able to pass along this business, benefit from passing that along, and then the employees inherit it and are able to continue on the legacy of that business. So I, I think there's a lot of people that are opening to the idea of employee ownership nationally. Do you see, uh, you know, I, I think it's quite interesting and, uh, you know, is it as easy as all that? Is it as easy as, you know, everybody paying $5,000 and then when Jason Sharp uh, rides off into the sunset, then everybody owns it and you're gone? Yeah. Well, I I wasn't one of the original three founders. And so that, that part of the story is sort of already occurred. And when I walk right off into the sunset, I get my $5,000 back. That's it. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I have a $5,000 investment, just like all the other owners of the business do. And so um, we've already passed that chapter. We're 16 years old now. And I think the difference is long-term thinking. So I think a lot of people make short-term decisions. And if the founders of our company were like, let's run this thing as long as we can and then sell it for a profit at the end of 20 years, um, this wouldn't be the story. But if you give yourself a long runway and you start 
it may be ego, but you start handing off control, you start handing off ownership, and you let that be a long trajectory, then you can, it can be win-win for the employees and, and for the entrepreneur. I think a lot of short-term thinking, you run your business as fast as you can, making as much money as you can, and when you get to the end, you sell it for as much as you can. And that might not be stakeholder balancing. That might not be holistic wealth. That might not be people, planet, profit. Um, it certainly maximizes individual. And even then, it might not maximize the individual more if you have engaged employees who are working harder over those 20 years yeah. as you're transitioning that ownership. It's probably a win-win. And I think yeah. a, lot of time, a lot of times business is like zero-sum game. There's a winner and a loser. And I'm going to maximize my profit and take as much as I can from the other person. And if you take a long-term view and think about investment, it doesn't need to be that way. Business can be win-win. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Jason Sharp, CEO of Namaste Solar. Jason, thanks. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you too for joining us on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Via Technologies, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. Colorado.